You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining me for this episode is Will Miles, and from his site, readandreaction.com, and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Well, um, last week I told you you'd have to give me a hug because football season was over. This week I think you might need to give me a hug to warm me up because it's cold here in Florida. You're such a wimp. It's like not even below freezing. <laughs> this is ridiculous. We had snow this weekend and the kids were sledding down the backyard. And, you know, it's been it's been below 40 degrees here for a couple of months now. So toughen up, Buttercup. You'll uh, <laughs> you'll be fine. You'll survive. Go go cover up your plants outside to make sure your vegetables don't die. That's really the only thing you got to do. Uh, if it falls below 60, I don't like it. So uh, we don't get it too often, but when we do, um, you know, of course I had to work outside today too, and it was like 45 degrees. So you know, for we, me, for me, I, I am a Florida boy, so that that is cold for me. I gotta be honest, I am absolutely waiting for the day that ESPN picks you up and makes you move to Bristol because <laughs> I think you might die. Like I just look forward to the first tweet where you're like dressed up like an Eskimo, <laughs> like with your teeth chattering. I will look like the kid from the Christmas Story. <laughs> Well, hey, I understand it because I've lived down there, but uh, we moved to Chicago and it was like the high that week was like minus 10 or something like that. So Philly's pretty warm these days after that experience. I got you. I got you. So Will, in this episode, man, plenty to talk about. We'll get into kind of looking forward to the 2020 season and kind of some areas for improvement for the Gators. This week, we'll do the offense. Next week, we'll do the defense. And um, Will, of course, man, if the, if the Gators are going to make a playoff push, and you can't, you can't rest on your laurels. Yes, it was an 11-win season. Yeah, you can say, um, you know, Georgia's maybe coming back to the pack. LSU's coming back to the pack. Bama's coming back to the pack. But Florida's also getting better. But, of course, they still have to improve on an 11-win season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the offense this year actually averaged a point or two less than it did last year. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly the offense looked different just because of a completely different quarterback and a completely different offensive line. But that, that's been sort of the hallmark of the first two years. If you think about it, the offense was very run heavy in year one under Mullen with Franks at quarterback. And then you had Scarlett and P. Ryan in an experienced offensive line. And then the offense was very pass happy in year two, especially after Kyle Trask took over. And a lot of that had to do with the offensive line and some of the struggles there. And so, you know, Mullen hopefully has been able to balance that out a little bit coming into year three. And if they can get good play from the offensive line, good play from the quarterback, and then obviously bringing in Lingard and then having Pierce as uh, as guys are running back, hopefully they can get that going too. And, and you know, get to that point where they're putting up 40 points a game rather than 33 points a game because obviously an extra touchdown in that Georgia game would have made a difference and certainly would have made the LSU game more interesting. 
All right, we'll hit on some of the topics we'll hit on here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. We'll hit some notes, too, toward the end there. Gervin Dexter gets his fifth star. Will Felipe Franks transfers to Arkansas. So uh, some good little news nuggets there that we'll hit on on, uh, at the end of the episode. But before we get to this episode, remember you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the episodes there as well as college football-related articles and News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators as well. Catch the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or YouTube when using those services. Please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, of course, I know the the biggest storyline that will be, uh, it's kind of always the biggest storyline, it's quarterback position, but the the biggest improvement, Will, that the offense needs to, to have in 2020 is the run game, of course, and now, we mainly know this was due to, to an offensive line being so new, replacing so many parts from the 2018 season. But, you know, just kind of looking at it, uh, I, I want to see the offensive line provide more explosiveness. And then I've did a lot of research and look here. And, of, you know, this goes hand in hand with the offensive line, of course. But, you know, as we know, the, the numbers aren't pretty. We're looking back at this run game for the 2019 season against Miami in the season opener. The Gators totaled 50 yards rushing. Longest run in the game was 15 yards. Tennessee, the longest run was 13 yards when the Gators totaled 128 yards. Against LSU, 17 yards was the longest run. And uh, that was 146 rushing yards uh, in in that game. Georgia, the longest run in that game was only 9 yards when the team totaled 21 yards rushing. And FSU, you know, the, the Florida was putting up points there, but the longest run was only 15 yards, and the team only totaled 77. You know, it's kind of a we, – we, we know it was a shift in the offense, as you mentioned, Will, going from a, a run attack to a pass attack. But, you know, that's five games of the 2019 season where the Gators' longest run wasn't even 20 yards in a game. By comparison, the longest run for every game in Mullen's first season in 2018 was at least 20 yards or more. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a bunch of different factors there. Obviously, the the two runs you really remember are, are the one against Auburn, and then and then you know the the other long one later in the year. Those are the, those are the runs you remember from Pirine. But well, before you go further, that Florida didn't get a 20 yard run from a running back versus an FBS opponent until Pirine's 88 yard run. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the deal, right? So the stat I like, so Football Outsiders has offensive line advanced stats, and they actually chart every play. And one of them, one of the stats they have is called opportunity rate. And basically it's how often does the offensive line actually do its job? And Florida ranked 125th out of 128 FPS teams last year with 39.9% was how often the offensive line did its job on running plays. And I think that's pretty accurate, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they were, um, when four yards was available, they didn't get four yards. The offensive line got beat and the running back got hit behind the line of scrimmage an awful lot. And you know, even the long run against Auburn, I mean, there was a linebacker sitting right in the yeah. hole that Pirine had to, had to break the tackle in order to make that run happen. And, and that was even with Mullen scheming where he lined up his wide receivers to make sure that the offensive line had an advantage up front with the guys that they needed to block. So those are things that can get cleaned up. I think it comes with some of that will come with experience, but I mean, here's the reality. I mean, when you look at all the advanced stats across the line for the running game, 
Um, the only time Florida ranked above 93rd was on passing downs when they ran the ball. There they were pretty good, so they ranked 20th in that one. But you know, at the end of the day, 117th in power, so third down and one, fourth down and one oh, didn't yeah. rank very well. And certainly we saw Mullen, especially in that Georgia game, throwing to Pitts on fourth and one instead of just running the ball. The play action fake in the game where Tyree Cleveland was held against LSU that turned into the interception. So not being able to get those third and ones, not being able to get those fourth and ones, not being able to convert down in the goal line when they got close. Um, you know, obviously those are places where where the team can improve. Yeah, and looking at this, Will, and what I'm doing is this is this is more of a a, a running back focused thing. You know, a running back offensive line focused thing. I'm not really counting. I'm not counting the runs from Kadarius Tony. I'm not counting the sweeps from Josh Hammond and, and, and you know Freddie Swain getting carries. I'm not counting quarterback runs here. You know this is strictly a a run game, running back, offensive line relationship, uh, you know improvement that I want to see here. Because look, we we know the quarterback run game is going to be part of it. We know Ball is going to get creative and, and and get some sweeps and uh, all that good stuff with, with the receivers and some gadget plays. But, you know, this is more of a focus on the run game with the the, the running backs and the offensive line here. Will, they didn't even have a 10-yard run from a running back versus Kentucky, Georgia, or Missouri, and only one versus Florida State and Vanderbilt. I mean, it, it, the numbers are staggering when you, when you go back and, and look at it and what they were able to do. And to kind of go and, and look at the players with a microscope here, Michael P. Ryan – 132 carries. He had 21 runs of at least uh, 10 yards. Jonathan Taylor of Wisconsin led the nation in that category with 61. So 40 more than the Michael P. Ryan uh, there. And Najee Harris led the SEC with 46. Um, and P. Ryan had four runs of at least 20 yards on the season. Only four runs of at least 20 yards. And three of those come against Virginia in the season finale and the other was the 88-yard run versus Auburn. Uh, two players led the nation with 20 rushes for at least 20 yards and LSU's Clyde Edwards-Alaire led the SEC with 16. Damian Pierce, uh, seven runs of at least 10 yards on the season, four of at least 20, so he had as many runs as P. Ryan did, Will, uh, as many 20, 20, at least 20-yard 20 runs as a Michael P. Ryan on 78 less carries. So Damian Pierce showing some explosiveness there uh, from his part. Uh, obviously, Clement had a 41-yarder versus uh, Tennessee Martin. Malik Davis only two runs of at least 10 yards on the season, and one came versus UT Martin, the other versus Towson. So a player that we know has some potential explosiveness, He's shown it before, but hasn't really been able to bounce back there uh, for, from the injury. So 2019 overall, Will, and kind of looking at this, 32 runs of at least 10 yards for the team. Navy led the country with 140. So you can kind of throw that a, a little bit of a, a way there, you know, having Navy at the top. But 32 runs of at least 10 yards for the Gators. Louisiana Lafayette was second with 117 Mississippi State led the SEC with 108. That was compared to Florida's 32 runs of at least 10 yards. And only nine runs of at least 20 yards on the season. As I mentioned, four of those were against Virginia. Navy led there, too, with 51 yards that were 20-plus yards, while Kentucky was second in the country with 49. Uh, Kentucky had 40 more runs of at least 20 yards than Florida did. So, of course, we know they went run heavy with Lynn Bowden, 
App State was third with 41 of those 20, at least 20 plus yard runs. So, you know, we're getting a few of those runs versus Virginia. Will the hope is something was figured out along the offensive line and, and the running backs. We know that Michael Piran had a huge game there, but they had some time to work on some things. They had a few weeks to to you know, get a, a a starting five of the offensive line. Gene Lance was it out there as much at the right tackle spot. We saw the, the configuration of the offensive line change throughout the season. So they got toward the end of the season, had some time to work on things. Uh, you know, it was the best to run game it looked all season, but it was a most it was mostly the Michael P. Ryan who's no longer with the team. Yeah, I mean I, I think you in some respects you throw the you throw the running back out of the window here and say, is it really the offensive line's fault? I mean the, those those other teams that you cited, so Kentucky, again, if you go back to that opportunity rate stat, which is when the offensive line does its job. So Kentucky got 53.5% of the time that ranked 10th in the country. You look at LSU with Edwards Hilaire, they were 53.1%. That was 12th in the country. You look at Georgia, they were at 52.9%. So that was 14th in the country. So um, teams with good running games, teams with effective running games had offensive lines that were essentially so the way that metric works is do you get four yards when you should have four yards and the reality is is that if a guy's getting hit in the backfield he doesn't have an opportunity to break a 10-yard run he breaks a tackle or two tackles and he gains three right and i know there were multiple times where <laughs> damian pierce in particular was able to break a couple mm-hmm. tackles in the backfield but it still ends up being a two, two and a half yard run just because the pursuit from everybody else out there, he gets slowed down enough that that the defenders are able to get there. So I think a lot of it has to do with the offensive line. I think a lot of it has to do with the play calling too, right? That that when you're going to go past happy, you only really get an opportunity to run when the defense knows it's coming, when you're ahead, when you're trying to run clock at the end of the half, those sorts of things. And so, you know, the, the defense is going to be able to load the box and stop it. Um, you know, you look at P. Ryan last year, had 134 carries, 826 yards, so 6.2 yards per carry average. Um, the year before that, though, he's 136 yards for 562, so 4.1 yards per rush average. So, you know, we talk about the offensive line struggling in 2019, but the offensive line struggled in 2017 as well. And, and P. Ryan struggled along with it. And this year in 2019, he averaged 5.1 yards per carry, though obviously that had a lot to do with um, that, that had a lot to do with the couple of long runs that he had mm-hmm. really contribute there. But what I do think is interesting is P. Ryan had 10 catches in 17. He had 13 catches in 18 and he had 40 catches in 2019. I think that's maybe the difference is when you really look at um, what would be interesting. And I don't I don't have the stat. And I doubt you do either. But how many 10 plus yard catches did he yeah. have? And does that sort of then start to approximate, um, you know, what what a normal running back would contribute because they clearly decided to substitute throwing to P Ryan and throwing to some of the wide receivers as a sort of stand in for the running game when they didn't think they could block the opposing defensive line. And, and that's, you know, part of Mullen's brilliance really is being able to tailor the game plan and, you know, really the plan for the entire year based on the personnel that he has. Well, hopefully you would, hopefully you just unearthed something there. So, so last year in the peach bowl, well, Michael P. Ryan did play some receiver and showed the you know showed great potential in catching the ball. We saw that translate to 2019. This past bowl game against Virginia, the run game figured some things out. They ran the ball really well, so maybe <laughs> that's another translation for 2020 that they'll uh, the offensive line will get better and the running backs will have some holes to work work, work through, uh, and uh, the, the run game takes off uh, in, in 2020. 
Well, let's be honest. I mean, I think Chris Blythe played because he had a year in the system, not necessarily because he was the most gifted guy who was out there. And that's one of the reasons why he got taken out quite a bit when Garage started to get his feet wet. And then when Ethan White sort of came on towards the end of the year. So you get those guys with full practice reps. You know, they they had to have Blythe in there to start the season because he's the guy who had the experience. But if White and Garage are more gifted guys, then those guys got all the bull practices. Right. And if those guys Mm -hmm. got all the bull practices, then maybe you saw the um, you know sort of the growth in them that you would hope to see if they had an entire spring practice where they were focused and they were going to be the starters. So I, I think we're going to find out a lot <laughs> game one next year, obviously, but I think we'll probably find a lot during the spring game too. You can tell. I mean, if you got the ones going against the ones, you, you can start to tell. Now we'll see. Mullen has sort of mixed and matched the teams to make them more even when he's been doing the spring game. So maybe we won't get to see just because the units are, uh, are because the units get mixed, but let's be honest. If you go back and read the articles written by the guys who were sitting there observing the spring practices, they were basically saying the primary offensive line better be really good because the backups are all way behind. And, um, you know, the primary offensive line wasn't very good and the backups were way behind. And towards the end of the year, when those backups started to get their feet wet and started to get a little bit better, then the offensive line starts to improve. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think it can be worse yeah. <laughs> if, if we're going to if we're going to categorize, you know, reasons for hope. I, I don't know that they're going to get a whole lot worse. They weren't fantastic in the passing game. I mean, they were 53rd in sack rate. They were 60th in standard down sack rate, 65th in pass down sta- pass down sack rate. So they still gave up quite a few sacks. They were just sort of middle of the pack. And then obviously they were awful in the run game. So you combine those two things. I think they're going to get better this year. Mm-hmm. And I think you've got guys like Tarkeen, you've got guys like Kinsley, Kingsley Guacquin, um, you know, sort of, and the other guys that they brought in who are have another year in the system, a full spring practice, and are going to be able to come in and contribute. So um, I think the backups will be better. I, I still think it's one of those positions where injuries really may play a role, play a role in 2020. I think if they have an injury or two, it could really set the offensive line back. But if they can keep everybody healthy, and they have for the most part the last two years, I think I think we should see quite a bit of improvement. Yeah, I'll get into uh, more of my thoughts, you know, strictly about the offensive line too. But went number heavy here, so I wanted to uh, w- with this run game too. So compare twenty nineteen to twenty eighteen, Mullen's first year in two thousand eighteen, Florida had fifty six runs of at least ten yards, only thirty two this past season. So twenty four more yard, uh, twenty four more ten at least ten yard runs in twenty eighteen, and then seventeen of at least twenty yard runs in 2018 to only nine in 2019. So uh, LaMichael Piran in 2018 on 134 carries on the season, 22 runs of at least 10 yards, almost exactly the same as this 2018, uh, um, almost exactly the same uh, there in 2019 uh, when he had 132 carries this past year for 21 runs of at least 10 yards. And then Piran had seven runs of at least 20 yards or more in 2018 compared to just four in 2019. So, Will, I think the biggest difference here, though, was not replicating Jordan Scarlett's success from 2018. He was responsible for at least – or he was re- responsible for 20 runs of at least 10 yards and seven of at least 20 yards. So, you know, they couldn't replicate uh, Jordan Scarlett's success there. As of course, you know, there wasn't enough carries really to go around. Uh, once Florida kind of uh, abandoned uh, the run game uh, about midway uh, through the season there. So, 
a comparison will an, a, another one to is just you and I kind of were discussing this right before we came on here and looking at this run game and comparing the two offenses and this comparison of, uh, of at least 30 carries in a game. Uh, and do you'll see the stark you know, contrast from 2018 and 2019. So with a better and more experienced offensive line, you know, also aided by a quarterback running a bit more in 2018, uh, the Gators ran the ball 30 or more times in 10 games in 2018 and only attempted that six games this past season. Once it was apparent, uh, you know the run game wasn't going to get it done. So there were games in 2018, will where Florida had 43 carries versus LSU, 63 versus Vanderbilt, 62 versus South Carolina, 52 versus Florida State, and 40 versus Michigan. You know, so you know perhaps with a, a more experienced offensive line uh, and getting more out of the quarterback run game, we see a more balanced offense in 2020. I'm not sure if 50 or 60 carries is ideal, but we do know in the Dan Mullen offense, if you're running the ball that much, the off, that, that means it probably means the offense is pretty working pretty well uh, for for Dan Mullen. So you know, this past year it was you know just say 40 pass attempts a game, and that's what was needed to win games. But you know, to win the bigger games versus LSU and, and against Georgia, a run game was needed to help uh, to either slow down the game or just help the quarterback out. Yeah, I want to go back to something that you said there, and you mentioned that they ran the ball with the quarterback a little bit more last year. Well, they ran the ball 110 times with Felipe Franks in 2018, and they ran it 63 times with Kyle Trask. Now, obviously, Franks ran it 20 or so times before – before he went out injured. But I think the biggest difference is is Franks ran for 350 yards last year and Trask ran for eight. Yeah. And you can throw Emory Jones in there, too. Sure, but the problem is, is when Emory Jones was in, he didn't throw the ball yeah, very true. often. It was so very, you knew he was very running. predictable. Yep. And I think that's sort of what I'm getting at is that Franks wasn't necessarily the greatest runner in the world, but he was enough of a threat. I mean, we saw it in the Michigan game in particular, where he had a bunch of big runs. I think he ran for like 80 yards in that game. But even in the Florida State game, I remember diagramming and breaking down that game and sort of saying, this is what a Mullen offense should look like. And one of the reasons P. Ryan hit that big run in the game against Florida State is because the linebackers were held in place because the quarterback run was a threat. And one of the things that we saw this year is that the quarterback run wasn't a threat. So not only was the offensive line more inexperienced, not as skilled, and and potentially just you know not quite as good at what they're doing as, uh, as a bunch of seniors who are going to lead the program, but also you don't have the quarterback holding that extra linebacker for an extra beat. And I think that plays a huge role in terms of in terms of what they're doing. And, you know, I mean, obviously you mentioned the different uh, you mentioned the 50 runs or the 60 runs or whatever it was against South Carolina. I mean, I I think that's sort of the hallmark of Mullen is that Mm -hmm. he's able to work to his personnel. So if you look at if you look at 2018, Florida was 19th in yards per rush and they were 71st in yards per pass. And so they ran the ball 61 percent of the time. And then in 2019, they were 106th in yards per rush and 26th in yards per pass. (laughs) So they ran the ball 44% of the time. And in the article I wrote this past week, I was looking at Jim McElwain. And basically, when he had splits like that, when he and Nussmeier, so they were 113th in yards per rush in 2015. Who? Who? (laughs) McElwain. (laughs) (laughs) Nussmeier, the the nightmare, man. So, so, but they were 113th in yards per rush in 2015, 62nd in yards per pass. So you would think they'd throw the ball a lot more because they're a lot more successful through the air. 
56% of the time they ran the ball. And, and, and when they did throw the ball, it was play action third and long. So, <laughs> you know, here, here's the reality. And, and they had Greer for the first half of that season too. And you figure they would have taken advantage of having a quarterback who was pretty skilled and they didn't do that either. So, And, and I, taking it for a whole wheel, how many times did we say with Treon Harris, why are you not running the quarterback? Why were we not really confident in Malik Zaire doing much under Jim McElwain? Because he wouldn't run the quarterback. He never catered to his talent. Yeah, absolutely. So, again, I think that nothing is going to be perfect next year. One of the hallmarks of Mullen, though, is that he's able to take advantage of guys who are limited. And I, I think you see that with Trask. Even when you look at his overall stats to the air, I think you can you can pick and choose. I know there was some pro football, pro football focus maybe was looking at sort of his success rate over the course of the year, and they only had him ranked really high in a couple of games. Now, obviously, overall, I think Trask had a successful season, but I do think there are areas that you can pick at his game. And I'll do that. I'm sure we'll get to that too but again when it comes back to what we can expect next year i think we can expect a more experienced offensive line i think we can expect a running back who can break tackles maybe a little bit more adeptly than than p ryan i mean one of the reasons p ryan was in there is because he was great in pass protection and he was good catching the ball and if you're going to throw the ball 60 percent of the time that's the guy you want in there i know people were clamoring for pierce but the reality is if you weren't going to run the ball pierce wasn't the guy you wanted in there so uh yeah. So anyway, I, I think, again, it's a different set of talent next year. I think Mullen will cater to that talent. And the hope is, is that the holes aren't quite as obvious because it was pretty obvious after about two games, Florida wasn't going to run the ball. And I think it was game. Eh, I think it was the Auburn game where it finally flipped and Mullen started throwing the ball more than he passed it. And then it got more and more and more exaggerated as the year went on. Yeah, I think the biggest surprise for me was the Michael P. Ryan numbers being so similar from 2018 to 2019 as far as number of carries. And then, uh, like I said, 22 runs of at least 10 yards um, on 134 carries in 2018. Like I said, almost exactly the same in 2019 when he had 132 carries and 21 runs of at least 10 yards. I mean, two less carries and one less run. Uh, of at least 10 yards there for LaMichael Piran. So uh, kind of surprising there when, when I went and looked at it. But, uh, yep, uh, before we get to quarterback, Will, uh, I had offensive line kind of later on, but I, we'll, I'll go ahead and throw them in here. We, we've mentioned that. And, you know, the thing I want to see from the offensive line, and you did kind of hit on it earlier, is create more depth and competition there uh, along the offensive line. And it was great seeing Ethan White out there as, as the season went on as a true freshman. Uh, but too many times we saw struggles at, at the right tackle position in particular. Uh, you know, is there a combination where DeLance isn't the starter next year? Uh, there has to be. And maybe Forsyth moves over from left tackle uh, and takes over at right tackle. Would that in turn mean Richard Garage takes over at left tackle? I like that as a scenario because there's experience on the field at, at that point. I think Brett Heggie has a, has a good chance to take over from Nick Buchanan at center. Ethan White at right guard seems to be a shoe-in now. So to that point, you have to argue or you have to kind of argue and figure out the other guard spot. And there are options there with TJ Moore, William Harrod uh, and Riley Simons. But what if they decide to keep four sides at left tackle and, and I guess garage at left guard. And then that opens up the right tackle spot for someone new, unless you know, Gene DeLance improves uh, this coming up off season. So Michael Tarquin received praise late in the season from John Hevesy. Um, and it's not ideal. Will, but maybe a, a true freshman like Joshua Braun or Isaiah Walker push for, for playing time uh, at that right tackle position. So 
the improvement I'd like to see there is hopefully Florida can can create some depth there along the offensive line, and, and that competition makes this unit stronger. I think we feel okay moving forward with the interior of the line, and and, and that ta- and that four size should be a tackle somewhere on the line. But with the numbers and talent influx the last couple of cycles, you know it's time for this offensive line to create some depth, and hopefully the Orange Bowl was a good sign. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to be careful about saying in particular that one person needs to be replaced or not. I mean, I, I think Delance, Delance obviously needs to work, but so does everybody else. It's yeah. not as if it was just his fault. I think what you really want to see is who comes into um, who comes into spring camp and is more physical than they were last year. Because I think one of the things that was sort of a calling card of the offensive line very early in the year was, especially when the guards were pulling or even when the tackles were pulling and got to take on a linebacker. I mean, you need to be licking your chops when you have a free shot at a linebacker. And the, the offensive line were kind of tentative and the linebacker a lot of times would run by. And even even guys who were experienced like Brett Heggie had issues, especially mm-hmm. early on in the year. Now, I think some of that comes with trust, right? I mean, you got a bunch of new guys on there. They don't trust each other. They don't necessarily know if the right assignment is going to be, uh, if the right assignment is going to be executed and if they're going to be, if they're going to look stupid because they do something that they're supposed to do, but somebody else fails and and so it doesn't work out quite right. I mean, I know there was a, a gif going around that had DeLance missing a guy, missing a defensive end against Virginia. But when you actually look at it, if you don't know the offensive line call, he may have done the right thing and the right guard might have done something that was incorrect. So I do think that offensive line is complex enough that you don't necessarily just want to say, oh, that guy got beat by the by the defensive end. He must be terrible. All that being said, I do think there needs to be improvement. And DeLance obviously is the obvious guy that you look at. But I, I suspect that the reality is, is that they want eight good offensive linemen, right? If you've got five and then you got, if you have the ability to pull someone off and replace them when they, you know, one of the things is I remember you used to watch years ago, a guy'd get a false start and he'd immediately run off the field. Yeah. And I don't remember that happening because there wasn't anybody else to put out there. And so that's really maybe the thing we should be looking for early on in the fall is when there's a false start, does that guy get pulled off the field? What kind of continuity do you see? Look at the defensive line. If the defensive line runs a stunt, are they able to pick that up? Those are sort of the keys, I think. And when it comes to bringing a true freshman on the offensive line, it's going to be, is he capable of working with his teammates to make sure that he doesn't miss his assignments? Because the turnovers come on missed assignments, right? The turnovers come on, there's a stunt, The it doesn't get picked up, trash gets drilled, ball gets fumbled. There's a blitz, they don't get the guy on the inside, they go for the guy on the outside, the guy on the inside comes in, hits trash, ball gets fumbled, or he has to throw it too soon, throws an interception. So the turnovers come from sort of those catastrophic plays. If they can avoid those catastrophic plays, then the offensive line will be a lot better whether a freshman then pushes them to do that. I have no problem. Freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. I mean, you know, you put the guy in there who's the best player. I think if they're physical, you can deal with the mental mistakes. The issue that I think, if you go back and look at the tape, I think the biggest issue is, is that not only were they making mental mistakes, but after they made a mental mistake, they got tentative. And that's just a killer for an offensive line. All right, so we'll move on to the uh, the big one, quarterback position, and uh, specifically Kyle, specifically Kyle Trask, of course, uh, where he can improve. He got the majority of the playing time out there, and look, he he can definitely get better at pushing ball pushing the ball down the field. Will uh, now Mullen's offense has never really been one to, to test defenses deep here, uh, but in a season where Florida was asked to throw the ball a lot, you know, some more downfield passing uh, would be nice here. You know, there's not. 
much need to be among the nation's best in this category, but you know it can lead to big plays and easy points being scored, especially if the run game doesn't improve much and you're not hitting the big plays there, like I mentioned. You're not getting big plays in the run game, so if some big plays in the passing game uh, would help put some points on the board as well You know if the run game still struggles uh, there in 2020. So, well, I went and looked at, and you know, look, of course there are some passes where wide receivers take short passes and, and, and take them to the house, but that's not ideally how most long score long scoring touchdown or or long uh, throws happen most of the time the the ball travels in the air uh that distance there so in throws of at least 10 yards kyle trash ranked 27th in the country not bad uh it was uh 123 uh throws there in that category the the nation's best you're looking at washington state's quarterback joe burrows up there uh as well but 222 uh, of, uh were you know, that's what the the nation's leader had in uh, of uh, throws of at least 10 yards uh in throws of at least 20 yards kyle trash ranked 35th uh that was with 45 throws there uh the nation's leader had 83 of those throws in throws of at least 30 yards, this is where it starts getting a little bit worse, 52nd in the nation for Kyle Trask. Uh, 17 of those passes, the nation's best, had 42. In throws of 40, of at least 40 yards, Kyle Trask ranked 84th in the country. Only six of those passes on the season for Kyle Trask. The nation's best had 26. In throws of at least 50-plus yards, Kyle Trask ranked 66th in the country. There, uh, only three such passes and in throws of at least 60 yards, 42nd in the nation there. So, well, not terrible uh, there from Kyle Trask. Uh, there, you know, 40 plus yards, that was his uh, of throws of at least 40 yards. That was his weakest link there, ranked 84th uh, in, in the country with only six of those throws. But uh, so, you know, if you want to open up the offense more, if Kyle Trask is going to be asked to throw the ball 40, 45 times a game, then you'd like to see some more downfield passing. Yeah, I mean, so again, I think this is a double-edged sword, right? That if you put him in seven-step drops, if you try play-action pass, if you try all those sorts of things, the offensive line has to hold up. Yep. And in some respects, a lot of his throws were designed to sort of mimic the running game. And a lot of his throws were sort of you know, intermediate routes, not necessarily little slants across the middle. And and for the most part, and, you know, we talked about this when, when we were talking about Burrow, one of the reasons he's so successful is the guy he throws to is always open. Mm-hmm. I think Trask in some respects did that pretty well. Mm-hmm. There were a few passes he threw that the defense probably should have gotten. And he, yeah. he, got a little, he got a little bit lucky that a couple of them didn't get taken back to the house against him. But, Again, it didn't happen. And you you look at his passer rating, it, you know, ESPN has it at 156.1. That puts him at 16th in the country. So from a passer efficiency rating, he's really, really good. 67% completion percentage. Again, very, very good. 8.3 yards per attempt. That is above average. The NCAA average this year for the top 50 quarterbacks in FBS was 7.75. But when you look at my metric, yards above replacement, this is where he starts to get dinged for his inability to run the ball and really the fact that he eats the ball quite a bit and takes a bunch of sacks because he only averaged 0.1 yards per rush. And the NCAA average is like 2.6. That drags his yards above replacement to 0.09. So slightly above average is what that metric has for trash for the season. So I think 
quicker decision-making, getting the ball out, not taking sacks is a big part of ways he can improve, even if he doesn't necessarily improve going downfield. And, you know, the game against South Carolina, he looked a little bit strange in terms of his ability to go downfield. Some of that might have been because of the weather. But you kind of saw it again in the game against Virginia that he he just didn't look comfortable throwing the ball downfield, whether that's because he was dinged up or whether that's because he doesn't necessarily feel comfortable letting it fly and going that far downfield. I don't completely know. But I, I think the stat that you said about 40-plus yards rings true. I don't remember him chucking it downfield all the time. Um, but at the same time, most of the time when he was throwing the ball, his guy was open. I mean, some of those back shoulder throws he against LSU mm-hmm. are things that we didn't see from Felipe Franks. And that doesn't mean that Franks is better or Trask is better. It just means they're different quarterbacks. So, you know, a full year starting, all that experience, being able to come back, I do expect him to be better next year. Um, but I think it's his tool set is not necessarily set up for him to make some giant leap yeah. unless there are, spe- there are a couple of specific things he's going to have to address to do that kind of thing. Yeah, and I will say that for for one, for me, that is probably some a little bit of nitpicking there because I, I do agree. I, for, as far as a, a quarterback in, in his entire game, there, I mean, he elevated the quarterback play uh, this year at Florida for something we haven't seen uh, in quite some time. So, but another part of this will, and I also want to see is uh, I want to see an offense at a faster pace in crunch time that killed Florida <laughs> this this year. Uh, go back to the LSU and Georgia games. Florida was dropping the ball when they needed to, but the drives took forever. And I, I think some of that comes, as you just said, with experience in the offense. And you know, look, also, you were playing in Death Valley at night. So that makes communication uh, very hard in crunch time. Uh, but, you know, but the tempo needed to be faster. So I went back and looked. You know, at LSU, after Trash threw the pick in the end zone and LSU scored, Florida was down 42-28. to 28. They get the ball back with 543 left to play and then went on to put – put together a 15-play, 71-yard drive that took four minutes and 54 seconds off the clock. At that point, you, you couldn't dictate uh, – you, you didn't dictate what you wanted to do on offense, play right into LSU's hands to eat the clock. Uh, and going back to the, the first point about Trask, had they been able to hit some more passes down the field, then maybe they could score faster, put some pressure on LSU uh, there at the end of that game instead of driving down and eventually getting stopped at the goal line. And then versus Georgia, you know, this one hurts even more. You're down 24-10, to 10, Florida takes over with 9.56 left to play in the game. Florida then goes on the score to make it 24-17, but the drive took 17 plays, 75 yards, and taking up six minutes and 50 seconds off the clock. So almost a seven-minute drive there. Georgia gets the ball back and is able to run out uh, the rest of the clock. The defense had trouble stopping Georgia on third down all game, uh, and since that last drive took so long, it basically put the game in the hands of the defense to, to force Georgia to go three and out. That didn't happen. The rest is history. So, you know, had the defense had more time, then maybe Georgia doesn't convert a second third down and Florida gets the ball back. So, you know, in the two losses of the season, long drives late pretty much held the Gators back. Yeah, I mean, so I think there's a few things there. I think the first thing is, is that Trask is going to struggle when the defense gives him the short throw and dares him to make a long throw in between coverage. And that's what that's what you're seeing when you see those long drives that eat up clock is that LSU basically said, hey, you're down 14. Even if you score a touchdown, we think Burrow is going to be able to get two first downs Mm -hmm. and we'll let you drive down the field six yards at a time. Right. And the right read in that circumstance is to throw the little six yard out or throw the drop, throw the check down to P Ryan. And, and that's the right read in the situation. 
But at some point, you need the quarterback to say, screw it, we're losing this game unless I push it down yeah. the field and it's trash that guy, right? I think that's what people – when you see people having the trash versus Emory debate, I, I really think that's probably what the debate is about. Huh? Beyond, that, beyond that, Emory's there's, ability to run too. But, you know, he there's definitely – There's a debate? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So, <laughs> you know, but that's really where the debate comes from is that the upside of Emory Jones is so significant from his arm strength, his ability to run, his ability to make something out of nothing that you look at it and say, okay, I'm bored with the guy who just does the right play. The pro- so, but the problem is the right play wins you 11 games. So, <laughs> but if you want to get to 12, if you want to get to 13, if you want to get to 15, do you need the guy who's dynamic to take you there? And I think that's kind of a fundamental question is how elite does your quarterback have to be? Because if Trask doesn't have the arm strength to fit it into that hole, then you're going to have some issues because if you fall behind, if you got to push it down the field and the defense basically just plays a parachute and doesn't let anybody get past you, then that can be an issue. So, you know, it, it is interesting. I mean, Florida, the quarterback for Florida, Trask outplayed every quarterback they played against except for Jake Fromm and Joe Burrow. Yeah. And next year, they're not really playing anybody who's that, who's that quality, at least not yet, that we think. And so – you know, again, it's it's one of those things where I suspect he's going to have an opportunity to outplay everybody on the schedule that they play next year. And just that I think conservative may actually be good enough because of the way the schedule sets up. Yeah, no, that is a, a point there. Uh, and before we move on, Will, for, for the quarterback, you know, speaking of Emory Jones, whoever is the starter, uh, I still think both quarterbacks probably play uh, here, at least to start the season. We'll see how it works out. But if it goes the way this past season did, then better implementation of the two quarterback systems. So, you know, I think we'll see it. Uh, but that's also dependent on Emory Jones getting more comfortable in the offense, not having to look to the sideline to change a play, not having to take forever to, to you know, to, to make a decision on the play. You know, look, there's more to quarterback than just throwing and running. You got to know the plays. You got to check into the right plays. Uh, and there were times Emory Jones couldn't. There were times Emory Jones couldn't do that. So, you know, there was a reason Kyle Trask uh, was the starter. And there's a reason Kyle Trask maybe looked at as starter first game of the season uh next year there's there's more to quarterback than than just throwing and running yeah well i mean and you know it's not as though he was dynamic in the games where they really needed him right i mean in the auburn game he had three rushes for 13 yards lsu nine for 36 georgia one for two um you know it's not until i mean you get tennessee martin four for 31 towson one for 29 um you know missouri six for 39 so he he wasn't really averaging a huge clip against teams that were decent. Now, the question is, is that offensive liners at Emory Jones? And I think probably a little bit of both, but it was so predictable in terms of what he was going to do. I mean, they let him throw one or three times against LSU, seven against Auburn, but that's mainly because Trask went down and then he didn't throw it all against Georgia. So, you know... I, it's, it's hard for me to say that guy needs to be the starter based on what I've seen out there on the field, but I do think that his upside is considerably yeah. higher than Trask. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if he goes out there and lights it up and shows the ability to, to make decisions and run the offense and throw to the right guy and all that sort of stuff, then great. But, you know, you can go look at the tape and see him be a half beat late. On, on throws he's supposed to make. You can see him not necessarily make the right read. Like you mentioned, looking over to the sideline to kill the play that you're supposed to kill rather than knowing which one you're supposed to do that on. I, 
you know, those things show up, but those things show up with young players. So mm-hmm. I, I think he's got another year in the system. That's obviously a good thing. And, you know, at the end of the day, Mullen's not stupid. He's going to put in the guy who gives him the best chance to win, not 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 just the guy who was the incumbent last year. And, uh, you know, the fans will get to argue about it, and I'm sure it won't stop. Believe me, Mullen would love to sell, hey, this was the quarterback I recruited. This was the first quarterback I recruited. He'd love for him to go out there and light it up. It's a, fe- it's a feather in his cap. It's a feather in his cap to turn around Felipe Franks. It's a feather in his cap to make Kyle Trask something we never, you know, most of us thought would never amount to, to what he has shown. It would be a big feather in his cap to have his recruited quarterback go out there and light it up. So, as you, I agree, Will, uh, the, the better quarterback will be out there playing and, and winning games for Florida. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, Mullen wants to win. And he's, he's, you know, he already had that rant two years ago about thumb wrestling and wanting to win. I mean, he's going to put the guy out there who gives him the best chance to win. I think we were all surprised that that guy was Kyle Trask this year. And look, I mean, he proved to be the guy, you know, average quarterback play gets you a long way yeah. in, in any sort of season, especially if you've got a pretty decent defense. And, and Trask was above average against everybody except for Georgia for the most part. And, uh, and play, obviously played really well against LSU and gave him a shot to win. And I think, you know, you look at that team, that LSU team is really a historic team. And Florida was one of the teams that was able to go toe-to-toe with them. And I, I think that indicates Florida's close. The question is, how close were they really? I mean, I think yeah. LSU had that game. Even when it was tied, you were sitting there going, yeah, I'm not sure Florida's defense is going to be able to go stop here. Um, but that's not Trash's fault, right? I mean, Trash played really well in that game, was able to raise his game in that one, and then obviously struggled against Georgia, and that's the other loss. So, um I, I don't know that you go wrong with either guy. I think you need to see improvement in key areas. I think there are there areas where Emory Jones needs to make improvement. Yep. There are areas where Trask is, is going to need to make improvement. And that's one of the other things I think maybe is encouraging about the Virginia game is that Trask ran really well in that game against Virginia, mm-hmm. not necessarily for a ton of yardage, though I think he wound up with like 30 or 35 yards in that game, but more than anything, keeping them honest. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Trask was able to run the ball decently well and the offense was able to run the ball decently well against Virginia. I think, again, when you keep the defense honest by having a quarterback who's willing to run, and I know you know Mullen likes using that phrase, willing runner. And after the knee injury against Auburn, I don't know how bad that was for Trask. And I do wonder yeah. whether that really limited his ability to run. And when it limited his ability, it limited the offense's ability to run. And that's you know that Auburn game is really sort of where the run-pass mix switched. It was 50-50 up until even all the way through the Kentucky game. And even the Tennessee game was pretty much 50, 50, in fact, a little bit run heavy. And then after that, everything swip, you know, swapped in that Auburn game. And from then on out, it was very pass heavy. I do wonder whether that knee injury had something to do with it. Yeah. I, I wondered that too, behind the scenes a little bit, if that knee injury did, did bother him a, a bit. Let's uh, one thing about receiver will just cause uh There'll be some questions there, of course, with everything that Florida loses there. We did get the news Kadarius Tony is going to return uh, to, to, to Florida or stay at Florida uh, for another season. So uh, what I want to see improvement there is specifically for him, become more of a true wide receiver. Uh, you know, yes, you can still be the gadget guy. You can still take some sweeps. But, you know, for what Florida's losing at receiver, there are some options there. But Kadarius Tony with the ball in his hands is electric. Maybe not consistent, but it is electric. So if he can become more of a true receiver, uh, you know, I, I'd like to see that. And, and late last year, especially in the, in the Peach Bowl, you saw him go down and, and catch kind of you know slants and, and more you know passes that would 
or run routes and catch passes uh, that are more uh, indicative of uh, a true wide receiver, but we didn't see it a whole lot. And of course he was injured this year as well. So, you know, maybe he did take some necessary steps, but maybe we'll see that coming up in 2020. Uh, but also I want to see, you know, depth show up in the form of young players, kind of like the offensive line there too, uh, with this, with this wide receiver group, you know, haven't needed it, uh, but someone would need to break through. Uh, staff was really high on Jamarcus Weston as a recruit. You have uh, Deontay Marks or, or Whittemore, you know, looks like players that can fit in the slot. You know, they'll be behind Tony and, and Copeland a bit there. There in the slot, if you want to go to tight end too, maybe Zipperer becomes more of a weapon after getting his feet wet uh, as well. And we'll see what maybe some of these true freshmen can do. You know, Xavier Henderson comes to mind there as a, as a big time wide receiver, uh, just to kind of you know, maybe a, a young guy that, that that comes on the scene there. So that, that's kind of quickly will there where I was looking at the wide receiver and some improvements they can make, specifically uh, Kadarius Tony and maybe. Trevon Grimes, you know, when I go back to the quarterback hitting downfield passes, maybe becoming more of that deep threat receiver. Yeah, I mean, I actually think one of the biggest things you're going to miss from the wide receivers is the blocking. Mm-hmm. So you think about Hammond, Swain, and Grimes, and Jefferson out there four wide. Those guys were all elite blockers when it came to opening things up. So the fact that um, P. Ryan caught 40 balls, I mean, a lot of that was because they had wide receivers who were out there and able to block. And so Grimes is still there, but you don't necessarily think of Tony as a guy who's going to take people out on the outside. I don't know that we've seen it from Copeland. He seems physical enough to be able to do that. And then some of those younger guys you mentioned, what are they going to be able to do? You look at Pitts, obviously he's established himself as an elite receiver, but is he going to be able to take that next step and become a a good blocker? I think he started to take some steps to go from really poor to adequate there. And regardless of what Brian Greasy said during that bowl game, I think he's clearly <laughs> a tight end. But at the same time, like there's area for improvement, right? And the area where I think you need to see Pitts improve is is blocking in the offensive line. You know, I was one for two last year. I thought that Kroll and Pitts were going to be an excellent combination and sort of really allow Florida to exploit stuff on the on the opposing defense. And that just really didn't materialize with, with Kroll. But Zipperer gives them that opportunity if he can step in and do that, along with another big-bodied guy to block if for some reason they don't get that kind of uh, blocking ability from the, from the wide receivers that they bring in. And to be honest, I think that's probably the area where freshman wide receivers are going to struggle the most. And then the other thing I, I think we need to watch out for who's really going to replace those 40 receptions from Pirine. Malik mm-hmm. Davis, he had six. Damian Pierce had four. Naquan Wright had one. And Iverson Clement didn't have any catches. And so who's going to step into that space as the guy coming out of the backfield? Because, you know, that was trash safety blanket. I mean, 40 catches for Pirine, 54 for Pitts. You, you know, you had and some of those for P- Yeah, and some of those for Pirine, Will, I mean, was him lined up as a receiver. Yeah, but I mean, you got 94 receptions out of those two guys. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, one of the things that Mullen did an awful lot last year was bringing P. Ryan out wide, bringing Pitts out wide. And now you've got five wide receivers, mm-hmm. but the defense was set up with linebackers. And that's kind of what I was talking about early in the mm-hmm. year when I was talking about Pitts and Crawl, giving you that sort of advantage. As you go in looking like you're going to be playing a normal set or a large set, and then you split those guys out wide, and the linebacker's like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> like there's no way I can guard this or the defense brings a nickel in expecting you to throw, you bring those guys in and then you're able to run the ball against it. Florida. Maybe, maybe that's, yeah. Maybe that's pits and zipper this year. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think that's what you'd expect to see, but obviously you have to be able to run the ball reasonably effectively to do it. Yeah. The problem last year is you couldn't do anything like that because the the offensive line struggled so much that even against fronts where they had an advantage, the running back was still getting hit behind the line of scrimmage. And so <laughs> if you're getting beat up front, it doesn't matter what kind of gimmicks you put in to get numbers advantages. If you can't take advantage of the numbers advantage, you're going to struggle running the ball. So they couldn't really do anything like that. And at that point, then it's like, well, we may as well just put Curl on the sidelines, bring in a fourth wide receiver because we aren't fooling anybody. Let's let them put a nickel out there. They're doing it anyway, and we can't run against it. So let, let's throw against it. So I think those are the things I'd be looking for is what happens with the pit zipper combo. Who can step up as the blocking wide receiver and help in the running game? Because I think that guy's going to get a lot more playing time, even if he's not quite as effective of a receiver. And I think they're going to lean heavily on Grimes and uh, – and I think they're going to lean heavily on Grimes and Tony in terms of and Hammond in terms or not Hammond and uh, Copeland as receivers. And so the guys who are going to step in as the additional guys are going to be the guys who can block. And then the third thing would just be who's going to step up at the running back position as a receiver. And, you know, whether that's Pierce or whether it's Davis or whether it's somebody else, um, you know, we'll have to see. But somebody's going to have to replace that because that clearly is trash safety blanket. All right, well, let's uh, that'll wrap up our what we're looking for for uh, improvement for the offense uh, here. As I said, next week we'll do the defense and, and kind of look at that. But uh, there's some thoughts on from, from Will and I about uh, where we want to see this offense improve for the 2020 season. Will, let's hit your uh, article here uh, for a second over at Read and Reaction. You uh, com- you know, mainly compared to the third years uh, of Dan Mullen and Jim McElwain. And, you know, why, why, of course, there'll be hopefully more success under Dan Mullen in his third year uh, compared to, to Jim McElwain. And I'm going to mix the two here. As I mentioned uh, earlier in the episode, recruiting has definitely gotten better. And I'm going to mix the note of Gervin Dexter getting his fifth star, Florida's first, uh, you know, recruited five star uh, on the 24-7 sports composite since 2015 when Florida got C.C. Jefferson and Martez Ivy. So the new Rivals rankings came out on, on Tuesday. They elevated Dexter to a five-star, and that in turn made him a five-star on the 24-7 sports composite. 24-7 sports own rankings will also come out very soon. I expect Dexter to probably be a five-star there, uh, as well as they have him the 25th ranked prospect uh, on their rankings. So they'll be reshuffling there. I'm sure he'll get his, five, his, his fifth star there. So, Will, that was a, a player they identified early. He's been in the fold uh, for quite some time, gets his fifth star right before uh, you know, the February signing period. But kind of relating the third, the, you know, the third year of Dan Mullen and one Jim McElwain, everybody loves discussing recruiting. Well, that's going to be probably step one in, in Mullen looking better than Jim McElwain. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, five-star guys are important. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, you know, congratulations to Dexter for getting that. He's obviously earned it. He had a, he had a huge season this past year. Just tackles for, tackles from a defensive tackle, if nothing else, was a really impressive thing. And and certainly you're glad Florida has him on the roster. I, I, I think that when you look at overall, and I think I've been pretty consistent about this, that when you look overall at a recruiting class, I mean, if Mullen had 26 four-star guys <laughs> – I don't think anybody would complain, yeah. right? It, it's it's a question of average rankings and how many top 100 guys, how many top 300 guys and things like that that you want to use for comparison. And when you compare him to McIlwain, he, he compares very, very favorably. His average player is ranked 90.82 on the 24-7 composite. McIlwain's average over his three years was 88.36. So players – 
basically two points better on the uh, on the average player ranking. He aver- that is a lot. I know two points don't sound like a lot in the grand scheme of things, but that is a lot in the recruiting world. It's a ton. It's the difference between it's the difference between you know basically Auburn and Wisconsin when it comes to recruiting. It's it's a pretty big deal when you look at top one hundred guys. Um, Mullins brought in now it's 11 guys in his three years, whereas there were seven in McElwain's. Again, that four doesn't sound different, except those top 100 guys turn into quality starters 70 or 80 percent of the time. So if 70 or 80 percent of seven versus 70 or 80 percent of 11, you got a lot of high level starters coming in out of that top 100. And then when you look at 100 to 300, McIlwain brought in 13 and Mullins brought in 24. So those guys, again, turn into starters at a much, at, you know, let's say they turn in 40 or 50% of the time. Well, you've almost got a full team from those three classes for Mullen. Whereas with McIlwain, you're really struggling to, to build that full team and you got to start hitting on three stars. Now they hit on a bunch of three stars. I mean, you look at Trask, who's a two star, you look at Zaniga, you look at Jakai Polite and some of those guys. And there's all those receivers that just left too were McIlwain guys. Absolutely, but those were some of the high-level guys, right? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cleveland was a high-level guy, and and Felipe Franks was one of those high-level guys who came in too. But um, I, I guess the point is, is that really when we're talking about recruiting, we're talking about percentages, and. The reality is, is that Mullen, while he's he has not recruited as well as Muschamp, he's not recruited as well as Meyer, he has not recruited as well as Zook, has recruited significantly better than McElwain, especially when you factor in some of the transfers, right? So you go back to that 2018 class where he had four top 100 guys, but now you're bringing in Brenton Cox and, and Lorenzo Lingard, and you're up to really six top 100 guys from that class. You can have an argument about whether the portal is the right way to go about things, but at the end of the day, the 2020 team is going to have more talent because he's brought in those guys. So um, overall, the talent level, the talent profile at Florida is higher than it was under McIlwain. I think we can say that Mullen is a better coach than McIlwain, and so that third-year dip, and I'm not saying that Mullen was going to go 4-7, and seven, but just about every coach has a third-year dip. I mean, Urban Meyer wins the national championship in year two, and then they go, I think, 9-3 and three in year three, even though Tebow wins the Heisman. You go and look back at Saban's time at LSU. He saw a dip in year three before then accelerating to a national title at LSU. You go and you look at Spurrier. When he came into Florida, he had a dip in year three before he went on a big run with Danny Warfel at quarterback. So you see that third-year dip with a lot of different coaches. I think with the elite coaches, the dip is, you know, they go eight and five, nine and three. I think when you get coaches who are substandard, you go four and seven, four and eight, the McElwain and Muschamps of the world. And, uh, you know, one of the things that opposing fan bases have thrown at me repeatedly on Twitter is, yeah, well, you know, McElwain had a couple of good years and then look at what happened when you start talking about when you start talking about Mullen. But in this case, I think there are real reasons to believe that it's not the same thing, that Mullen is much more Urban Meyer year three, Steve Spurrier year three. Um than he is than he is Jim McElwain year three. Yeah, and you and I we we kind of talked about it earlier uh, here, and also you know, just looking at a, a functioning offense, knowing what to do with your players, you have success there. Look, and and, and I say your players because it's it is Dan Mullen's team right now, but these were Jim McElwain recruited guys, and look, we you saw right away the improvement of the receiver position. Uh, I think that was a big mark in Dan Mullen's first year compared to Jim McElwain's last year. You had guys live up to the billing of uh, like Hammond and, and Swain. And actually, you know, I don't think 
after their first two years, I don't think we saw the production those guys were going to have uh, under Dan Mullen. And those guys really, really showed out uh, there. And you know, being able to, to cater to the talent and not not to play quarterback roulette. Uh, Jim McElwain's last year, Felipe Frank's making his first start against Michigan. And Malik Zaire coming in to try and save the day. Luke Del Rio gets some starts. I mean, it was, it was just trying to figure out something and throw everything at the board because uh, it didn't seem like there was a, a a plan there. And, look, we know the credit card scandal right before the season threw a wrench and everything, but that probably masked the bigger issue of lack of recruiting and and, and living off of Will Muschamp's defense. Sure. Well, I mean, you, <laughs> Bill Sykes was ringing that bell, and I wasn't really listening to him until after, until after <laughs> that happened. I think you also have to factor in the credit cards where you had a bunch of guys who were – I mean, you know, Scarlett and Callaway were two of the better players yeah. in offense, and those guys didn't get to play in that year. But the biggest thing, I mean, when you looked at 15 and 16, I think there were signs. I mean, I know we looked at the close games. There were eight games that were one score or less, and and McIlwain went 7-1 and one in those games. But the average FPI of those eight games of those teams they played was 50.1. And Mullins had similar success, so he's he's six and one in seven close games. But the average FPI of those is twenty five point three. So basically, the close games that Florida is playing under Mullen are against quality teams, and the close games that McIlwain played weren't necessarily against quality teams. I mean, you know, games against FAU and things like that. <laughs> and and it shows in the it shows in the stats. So I, I looked at. Basically, I took FPI rankings 1 to 5, 6 to 10, 11 to 25, all the way out to 100 and sort of split it out. And against teams that are 101 or worse or FCS, McIlwain won by an average of 10.7 points. Owen won by 33.2. Wow. From 75 to 100, McIlwain won by 6.5 points. Mullen won by 56. Now, granted, that's one game for Mullen. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you look at 51 to 75, McIlwain won by 14.9. Mullen won by 21. You look at 26 to 50, and this is where I think it really makes a difference. 26 to 50, so teams that are Kentucky. Teams, yeah, did a lot of the teams you're playing. South Carolina, very yeah. – so teams that are good but not elite in the SEC. They make Mac- up a bulk of your schedule. McIlwain was minus 2.3. Mullen was 10.6. And then you go 11 to 25. So now we're talking top 25 teams. McIlwain negative 11.3. Mullen negative 6.5. So he struggled a little bit there, mm-hmm. but not nearly as much as McIlwain did. And then you look at 6 to 10, and McIlwain's minus 4.5 and Mullen 6.0. So the only place where McIlwain outperformed Mullen in point differential, and it's just slight, is teams that were ranked 1 to 5. And that's basically because he beat Old Miss. <laughs> and Old, and yeah. Old Miss was, was in that ranking and, and so really raises that average for McIlwain. But end of the day, Mullen is beating the teams that Florida should beat the way Florida should beat them. In 18 and 19. that And you see that in the overall point total. So 34.1 points for, for Florida, 17.7 against. For McIlwain in 15 and 16, there were 17.6 points against. So basically the exact same defensive performance in terms of points allowed, but they only scored 23.6 points. So they scored 11 less points per game over his two years than 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 Mullen did in his two years. And I think that's reflective in the point differential. And the reality is his point differential reflects the quality of your team much more than one loss record. Yeah. And and so Mullen's teams have been better. They have more talent. And I think from an in-game perspective, he's 
I actually think McIlwain was a pretty decent in-game coach. I think Mullen is just as good, though. I think going forward on fourth downs, you can see that he does that an awful lot. He goes for it. In fact, he goes for fourth downs more than uh, than McIlwain did, and I really lauded McIlwain for going for it on fourth <laughs> down. But you look at it, Muschamp from 11 to 14 went for fourth downs 13 and a half times per year on average. You look at McIlwain, 15 and 16, 21 and a half times a year. Mullen, 2018 and 2019, 22.5 per year. And I think that's indicative of a guy who's able to get a little bit more out of his team on the field because he's willing to take some risks and go for it on fourth down. So I know people didn't necessarily like some of the fourth down calls against Georgia, but I actually think that's indicative of Mullen being a pretty good on-field coach. Good stuff there, Will. And everybody can get that at readandreaction.com. That's Will's latest there. You can take a look at the charts and all that good stuff that kind of lays that out there better uh, in a in an individual form there but really good stuff for, from will and check out all of his work at read and reaction.com well one more thing before we go one last note felipe franks former gators quarterback transferring to arkansas uh sam Pittman there uh, now is the head coach uh, the, the uh, former georgia offensive line coach did hire kendall Bryles as his offensive coordinator uh that name is familiar of course because he was the coordinator at fsu last year so a little connection there for felipe franks and now going out, out west uh to play for arkansas and well, of course, he's not going to have the bevy of receivers he had at Florida. He's not going to have a running game like he had at Florida. Kendall Browse can bring an offense that can showcase his arm talent. He likes to go down the field uh, and likes to get the ball to receivers. And Arkansas has some good receivers. I, I know Knox is there. He was a, a Trey Knox, I think, uh, I believe is his name. Um, former recruit that Florida uh, targeted big time when he was a recruit. Um, so they got some good options at receiver, but of course not as much depth uh, there as he had at Florida at the receiver position. So he'll be in an offense that will ask him to make some quick decisions, uh, you know, given Kendall Browse's history there, make some quick decisions. But as I said, test the ball and, and get, or, or test his arm and get the ball down the field. We know he can excel there. Uh, but uh, will I, um, Kansas looked to be the other option uh, with his Les Miles connection uh, there for Felipe Franks. But uh, Franks is going to stay in the SEC uh, and play in the SEC West with a, a brutal schedule. So, uh, you know, good luck to Felipe Franks, but, man, he's going to need some help. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I hope he does really well. But the reality is, is if Arkansas goes four and eight, that's probably a really good year for him, right? I mean, yeah. they're 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 pretty much the dregs of the SEC, and any sort of bump up would be good. I I think Bryles' offense is actually pretty much tailor made for somebody like Franks. Uh, I wrote something earlier this year where essentially it, it was after FSU hired um, hired Bryles. And the idea that his offense and the offense that Taggart ran really didn't make a whole lot of sense. And I think he sort of had to adjust to some of the quarterbacks that he had at Florida State. But when you really look at what Art Bryles' offense and Kendall Bryles', Kendall Bryles runs it, when you really look at those guys' offensive philosophies, it's a lot of air raid. It's a lot of stuff going down the field with adjustments off of what the defense does. And a guy with a strong arm can really take advantage of it if he's able to make the right read. So we'll see. I, th I think from the standpoint of the kinds of things that he's going to ask Franks to do, I think it'll be good for him. Um, you know, whether or not that's the that's the right place to go to get to the NFL is a different question. But I think in terms of success, I think Franks will have a good year. The good news is, is that um, 
immediately after this was announced, all the people that we know who are Tennessee fans on Twitter were lamenting <laughs> the fact that he can torture them again because he's going to get to play them again. So all I know is if 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 Arkansas has a walk off win against Tennessee, I'm just going to laugh and laugh and laugh because that's going to be awesome. But uh, you know, if he can torture Tennessee one more time, I'll certainly tip my cap to him. But you know, I was I was really impressed with the with the way Frank's handled the injury. I was impressed the fact that he went to the bowl game with the team mm-hmm. and everybody there really admired him. And, you know, I wrote about it at the time when he, when he decided to transfer that he was willing to take bullets during that 2017 season that McElwain wasn't willing to take. And I think that's one of the reasons why he won the respect of his team and won the starting job overall. And, you know, you take a guy like that and say, you know what, good luck to you. Thanks for helping build this program. Thanks for helping to get everybody to buy in. And thanks for all you gave to Florida because, you know, he may walk with a limp for the rest of his life because of what he gave to Florida, you know, down the line. I doubt that ankle isn't, I suspect it will be arthritic somewhere down the line. It'll be because of the time he spent here and what he put into it. So, you know, best of luck to him at Arkansas. Hopefully he does really well. And, you know, Hey, hopefully we'll see him in the SEC championship game. (laughs) I need to look here. Yeah. They open up the season with Nevada, but they play at Notre Dame week two. So Franks will be on a, on a national stage there uh, with Arkansas at Notre Dame. Uh, there, so hopefully he gets a big upset there early, <laughs> early in the season. Uh, it would be uh, it would be nice to see, but uh, yeah, we'll have a brutal schedule here to start out with. Uh, they have Notre Dame and Mississippi State and Texas A and M back to back to back. So uh, not a not a great schedule to, to, for Felipe Franks to get his feet wet after opening up with Nevada uh, there. So yeah, Felipe Franks now going to Arkansas. So Will, anything else, man? Now, well, apparently while we were on, Florida lost to LSU in the yeah. basketball. So the Fire Mike White Hive will be out again on Twitter tonight, no doubt. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit different than football. There's still some time to go. And I guess we get Baylor coming up later on this week. So Yeah, number, yeah. One, but number one Baylor will, will visit the Odome. So, so hopefully White's got something up his sleeve similar to what he had with Auburn the other day because it, it was kind of nice to have the uh, – to have a little bit of quiet on Twitter after a Florida basketball game, to be honest with you. But uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, look, I enjoy watching the Gators and anything. I, I really enjoy watching the baseball and the softball teams, but um, football's the passion. And, you know, I don't get all that worked up about the other stuff. Yeah, I know. Tony Aguilini, uh, he, he uh, gives me a shout every time we do an episode during a basketball game. But uh, yeah, it's uh, last week Monday was because of the national championship game. Monday uh, yesterday was because you know it was just better to go on Tuesday this week. We could uh, do it, get a get an earlier start time and an earlier going to bed time. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, we, I mean, you don't want to listen to the announcers anyway. Just listen to us talk while you got the game on the big screen TV in front of you. It's all good. Yeah, but when you saw me looking probably off screen and I was looking to the side, I was watching the end of it. The Florida lost in a. Um, buzzer beater so they were they were uh, inbounding the ball it looked like he uh i think it was keontae johnson uh but he went to lay it up and uh the ball was still in his hands when the, the clock read zero it only had a it only had a half a second to inbound so. billy donovan never would have let that happen <laughs> <laughs> better watch out we we'll turn to a basketball podcast Oh man, I, I doubt it because I don't uh, have time for that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But nah, I mean, look, I, I wish those guys the best. I, I I enjoy watching it. Like I said, I don't know enough about it to know whether somebody is a is a good coach or a bad coach. Other than you know, 
Donovan was a special talent, and I and I suspect that um, in some respects he made us think that the program was was more elevated than maybe it is, and hopefully White can get it to that level. All right, that's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site once again readandreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.